In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I see we have you all well trained. Well, welcome to the third Sunday in Epiphany. Third Sunday after Epiphany. This morning, Jesus comes to his hometown. Jesus comes for ministry. And I trust as we look at this wonderful passage together, you will find joy and power for living your Christian life and serving the Lord Jesus Christ in everything you do. So let me invite you to take out your Bibles again, and we're going to turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Let's begin at verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Okay, there it is. Hardly a cliffhanger of a plot, is it? Jesus shows up in his hometown on a Sabbath day, the place where he was raised. And like any good Jewish boy would do, and it's like Jesus had done over and over again in his life, he goes to the synagogue and he takes his turn reading the lessons. Well, not much to that story, is there? <laughs> Pretty bland stuff until you begin to realize why it was that Jesus picked this passage to read and what it was that preceded this passage, and what it was that Jesus was actually trying to say by all this. So let's start by taking a look at the passage that Jesus was reading. You see, in the ancient synagogue, it was common practice for someone to stand up first and read the law, something from the first five books of Moses. And then someone else would stand up and read something from the prophets. And then that person, or perhaps a third person, might be called upon to give a homily that would tie together these two different passages of Scripture. Now, when Paul was invited to speak in the synagogue in Acts 13, that's exactly what the chief of the synagogue was inviting him to do, come and give that homily to pull those pieces together. So here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus may not have been given the option to pick the book that he read from, but Jesus certainly picked the specific passage from which to read. Now look at verse 17b. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Jesus has chosen to read here from a passage that today we would call Isaiah chapter 64. And Isaiah 64 is sometimes called the fifth servant song of Isaiah. Now, centuries before Jesus' birth, the Jewish scribes reading the scroll of Isaiah had identified five songs in the book of Isaiah 
And if you've uh, been in church very long, you'll recognize these songs that were called the Songs of the Servant. Here's the first song, Isaiah 42. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Song 2, Isaiah 49. You should be my servant. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Song number three, Isaiah chapter 50. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. I know I shall not be put to shame. Song number four, Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned all of us each to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then comes song number five, Isaiah chapter 62. This is the passage that Jesus chose to read that day in Nazareth. Now, while these five songs had long been recognized as the songs of the servant of Yahweh, the real question remained for anyone who actually read them was the question, well, who is this servant? And when is he going to appear for the sake of the nation? Or had he already appeared? Was Isaiah really just talking about himself? You remember what happened in Acts chapter 8? Philip gets called by the Holy Spirit to go talk to this man on a desert road, riding a chariot, an Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian is actually reading the fourth servant song as Philip comes up to him. And this Ethiopian has the spiritual insight to ask the single most important question you can ask when you read that song. He says, about whom, sir, does Isaiah speak? About himself or somebody else? In other words, are these just beautiful words from the past? Or can we expect someone to come and fill up this prophecy? Well, Jesus could have hardly picked a more controversial passage in all of Scripture to read than he did here in the synagogue at Nazareth. So look what happens next. Luke 4, verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. They were all staring at him, and everyone was asking, well, Jesus, you've just picked the most controversial verse in this whole book that you possibly could, so what's your opinion? Should we really expect God to rescue us? Is there hope that a servant might actually show up for the sake of the nation? Or have we just been left on our own to muddle along as best we can? Well, the answer they get was far more than they bargained for. Look at verse 21. And he began to say to them, 
Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says, yes, indeed, God wants to break into the history of Israel and into the history of the world. God wants to send you power for living. He wants to rescue you from everything that ensnares and controls and binds you. The servant has come proclaiming good news that there is forgiveness for every wrongdoing. There is release from every habit and addiction. And there is power that can enliven the spiritually dead, that can give sight to the morally blind, and bring hope to every person that mourns. This is not just talk, Jesus says, because I am the servant that Isaiah foresaw and spoke about. These songs are my songs. These are the songs I have come to sing to the world. I have come to fulfill every one of God's promises. Now look at verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Wow, fantastic stuff. Good job, Jesus. But then doubt starts to come into this. Look at 22b. And they said, huh, is this not Joseph's son? Wait a minute, Jesus. You, the servant of God? How can that be? We know all about this guy. We've known him since he was knee-high to a grasshopper. Jesus? Come from God? <laughs> Hardly. Okay, now friends, this is where you and I have to take a step outside the text. And we need to take a look at what Luke, the gospel writer, is doing. See, when the reader reads this, the question is, is there any credibility to the claim that Jesus is making? Or is it, in fact, just as Jesus' neighbors imagine, Jesus is just blowing smoke. This is nothing more than just the megalomaniacal ravings of a young man that spent way too much time inside his own brain. Well, Luke seeks to answer that question for you, the reader. For Jesus to be the servant of God, the servant who saves the world, then it must be, as Isaiah 62 says, the Spirit of the Lord must be upon him. And that is exactly what Luke is at pains to portray. Now, turn back in your Bible to Luke chapter 3, verse 22. Three twenty-two. this is Jesus' baptism, and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Look a little farther now to Luke 4, verse 1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Jesus is living by the power of the Spirit. And then look what happens next. And Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And all of us here knows what happens. 
Jesus utterly defeats the most powerful spiritual enemy we have, which is Satan. And Satan retreats from the field with his tail between his legs. Now look at 4.14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, in that single sentence, he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all, Lucas actually collapsed many weeks of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. If you look at Mark's gospel, you will find that Jesus actually comes to Nazareth in Mark chapter 6. There's five chapters of ministry in Galilee before Jesus shows up in Nazareth. But Luke has collapsed all this into a single sentence so that you and I cannot miss the essential connection between the reception of the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism and his life empowered by the Holy Spirit. This makes Jesus the one who is fit for the claim, I am the servant of God. Now here's an interesting thought, folks. Most people present here this morning know that they can't earn a spot into heaven. How many of you know that? Raise your hands if you know that. Okay. You're all good Baptists. You all know that. Okay. You cannot earn a spot in heaven. But what I see as pastor time and time and time again are people who know that they need Jesus to be saved, but they are struggling in their own power to live the rest of the Christian life. And so it's no surprise that they're all worn out by it. The Christian life for them is not a joyous thing, it's this big drudgery. I gotta go to church. I gotta live like a Christian. And sin begins to defeat them and they get discouraged. They lose their focus on spiritual things and then they fall into addictive habits. Sometimes it's the big, bad, dirty ones like pornography or alcohol or gambling. But sometimes it's just the nice little acceptable ones like food and shopping and late-night TV. You see, what all of us tend to forget, and myself included, is that Jesus came as the Spirit-filled servant of Yahweh. He came to save us from the day of our baptism to the moment our soul is commended to God and then for eternity all afterwards. Jesus received the Holy Spirit in his own baptism, not because he needed it, for he was God by nature. But he received the Holy Spirit so that you and I could have the Spirit by being in him. In the wilderness, Jesus carried your burden for you. There he defeated the devil for you, so that if you remain in him, you will have spiritual victory over the enemy. Jesus went about Galilee healing the sick, 
and preaching the word of God so that your soul might find spiritual health and your mind might be filled up with the promises of God. Jesus came in spiritual power so that by his spiritual power, you might be released from your bondage. Jesus came empowered by God so you could be empowered to do the same works he did. Okay. So let's get real about how this happens. <laughs> this release of spiritual power. You see, many people imagine that they need to have some big experience. Maybe on a mountaintop somewhere, or maybe they have to have this secret initiation into these mysterious rites or events. Now, hear me when I say this to you. God can do that to empower you. In fact, I happen to know several people right here that God has done that. But if you think that God must do that for you to have spiritual power in your life, then you are forever going to be a spiritual stepchild of the kingdom. You will always be a second-class citizen in your mind. You see, when faith encounters your baptism, then you may be fully assured that the Holy Spirit is now dwelling in you. That's why you'll find the font open at the back of the nave. It's a practice of many people as they come through to touch the water and touch their forehead. Why? Because there's some magic in the water? Of course not. It is a reminder of your baptism and that in your baptism, the Holy Spirit has come to indwell your life. And that baptism carries you through your entire Christian life. Now this morning, as we focus on Jesus appearing as the Spirit-filled servant, I would like to suggest this your thinking, okay? Spiritual power is not gained so much by asking the question, is the Holy Spirit in me? Rather, the question we should be asking is, am I in the Spirit-filled servant? Are you in His Word? Morning by morning, he'll meet you there. You can have real, living, sweet communion with him. Do you have 10 minutes a day to be with God? Are you obeying what he is saying to you? Now, the goal for today is not perfection, okay? Don't try and eat that whole elephant this afternoon. It ain't going to happen. Okay? Rather, the question is, what is he speaking to you about right now today? Now, you know what that is, because right now your conscience is telling you. Okay? You see, if you're faithful to do that one thing today, 
you will wake up tomorrow and find that your heart is closer to God. And you will have power to do the next thing that God brings to you. When you're facing temptation this week, do you beat on your chest and claim, oh, I can do it? Or do you flee to Christ? Do you come under the protection of the one who in the Spirit's power defeated your enemy? You see, the Spirit-filled servant of God has appeared to do ministry in your life and mine. He has gone before us, living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. He has conquered the great unconquerable enemies that you must face this week. And he invites you to surrender and to participate in the same Holy Spirit that gave him joy, power, and wisdom. Well, how is this done? By allowing him to live his life through you. Well, as we close, let me ask you to reflect on this. Whether you experience this great fountain of power and joy and peace, or whether you do not, is entirely up to you. Look back at Luke chapter 4, verse 24. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. You see, Jesus just seemed too mundane and too ordinary to be true. How could this man, the fellow we can see and touch, just an ordinary carpenter, how can this man be the key to encountering God's powerful Holy Spirit? And what did they do? They scoffed. You see, to some here this morning, the things I have suggested probably seem pretty mundane. Do you mean to tell me, preacher, that in only 10 minutes a day in God's word, my life will change? You mean to tell me, preacher, if I say no to the thing God is telling me to say no to, and yes to the thing God is telling me to say yes to, I'll find spiritual power? You mean, if the next time I face temptation, I ask him to be in me and me in him, I might find the pathway to spiritual victory? Is that what you mean, Pastor? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. That's exactly what I'm saying. You see, Jesus appeared to work his ministry among us. So the question is, what kind of reception will he find in our hearts? Amen.